there are some decisions in life that shouldn't be taken lightly, aren't there? I mean, there are some decisions that don't really matter, like whether to have wheat bix or toast for brekkie, or deciding what you do when you finish school, or deciding whether or not to buy a house. They don't really matter. But other decisions do matter. Other decisions shouldn't be taken lightly. Like deciding who to marry, for example. If you're going to get married, it's really important to marry someone who loves Jesus. Someone who's going to help and encourage you to keep following him no matter what. Or deciding when, if ever, to put your parents into a nursing home. That's a decision not to be taken lightly. When you're deciding uh, to do that, uh, it's good to think he's putting your parents into a nursing home even the right thing to do. And you certainly want to respect and honour your parents in all that, don't you? There are some decisions in life that shouldn't be taken lightly. Over the past few weeks in Luke, Jesus has been urging Israel to make a decision about him. He's been urging them to repent, to to change their mind about him, to acknowledge that he is the Christ. He's been urging them to follow him. In today's passage, Jesus says that deciding to follow him, that's not a decision you want to make lightly. Because deciding to follow Jesus, he says, it will cost you everything. After all, when you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, you're admitting that he is the Lord. He is the King. He is the ruler over you and over everything in your life. In fact, when you acknowledge that Jesus is the Christ, you now belong to him. Your life is no longer your own. Deciding to follow Jesus will cost you absolutely everything. And so it's not a decision that you want to make lightly. Now, by the end of this section of Luke, Jesus is going to challenge the crowds and he's going to challenge us to think about whether we're really up for following him or not. So let's have a look. Last week, you might remember Jesus was having a meal in a Pharisee's house. This week, in verse 25, we're told he's back on the road, heading to Jerusalem, and large crowds were travelling with him. And Jesus takes this opportunity to challenge the crowds to think about whether they're Uh, to think about whether they're really up for following him. Are they prepared to pay the cost? Three times in this section, Jesus says to the crowd, you cannot be my disciple if... He says it at the end of verse 26, the end of verse 27, and again at the end of verse 33. We'll look at each of those in turn, but in each case, Jesus essentially says the same thing. Unless you give up everything, you cannot be my disciple. The first thing he actually says is, unless you hate your family, you cannot be my disciple. We'll pick it up again from verse 25. Large crowds were travelling with Jesus, and turning to them, he said, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, his wife and children, his brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. So Jesus says to the crowd, unless you hate your family, you cannot be my disciple. During the week, on Wednesday actually, Sarah and I had our wedding anniversary. We've been married for 14 years and four days to date. And I can genuinely say, truly, I love Sarah more now than I ever have. I'm very much as in love with her as the day we got married. Jesus says, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his wife... He cannot be my disciple. As great as Sarah is, 
as dearly as I love her, as much as I cherish my children, they've actually got nothing on Jesus. Unless you hate your family, you cannot be my disciple, he says. And I actually reckon this is a hard thing for us to come to terms with. Because in our society, family is idolised. Anything that you decide, anything that you do that's kind of against this idol of family, if you decide that something is more important than your family, then in our society it is just looked down upon as being so wrong. But Jesus says, no, family's got nothing on me. If it's a choice between your family or Jesus, it's a no-brainer, he says. You choose Jesus every time. Now, for the crowds who were following Jesus, this would have maybe carried even more weight. Because if they started really following Jesus, pretty soon it would have meant being alienated from their families. Just a few chapters later in Luke, Jesus will die on the cross and he'll rise again from the dead. And if these Jews are still following him as the Christ then, then that'll mean turning their backs on all of the old Jewish customs. No more needing to go to the temple, no more priests, no more sacrifices. If they persist in following Jesus then they're rejecting their old way of life and in turn that means being rejected by their family and by their friends. A modern day comparison might be like someone from a Muslim country becoming a Christian, even though in all likelihood that'll mean being cut off from their family. That's actually kind of what it means to hate your family. If someone was watching someone do that, if they were watching on, they might say that person does hate their family, right? Because they've deliberately chosen to follow Jesus even though it means being cut off from their family. That's what Jesus is saying. If you want to follow me, you choose me before anyone else. Unless you hate your family, you cannot be my disciple. Deciding to follow Jesus, that is not a decision to make lightly. And so as to reinforce the costliness of following Jesus, he goes on to say that you cannot be my disciple if you're not prepared to carry your own cross. Verse 27. And anyone who does not carry his cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. So pretty clearly he says, unless you carry your cross and follow me, you can't be my disciple. Now if his words in verse 26 were shocking, these words are meant to be even more shocking. This is like a Donald Trump tweet. (laughs) Because in Jesus' day, a cross wasn't just a piece of jewellery that you wore around your neck. It wasn't a symbol of love. A cross was a repulsive, horrible, wicked, disgusting means of torture and execution. The cross was something used by the Romans to terrorise the population, to put down dissent, to keep people under their control. For the crowds who were following Jesus along the road, they would have literally seen people carrying their cross on their back, about to be executed. And Jesus says to them, unless you carry your cross and follow me... You cannot be my disciple. Now they knew if you're carrying your cross, you're on a one-way trip to death. You're a dead man walking. Essentially, Jesus is saying, if you want to follow me, then you need to renounce your life. You need to surrender your life. You no longer have a life of your own. If you want to follow me, he says, you don't live for yourself anymore. You live for me. Unless you carry your cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. Man, deciding to follow Jesus, it is not a decision you want to make lightly, is it? 
Because actually, Jesus goes on to say, you cannot be my disciple unless you give up absolutely everything. Look at verse 33. In the same way, any of you who does not give up everything he has cannot be my disciple. Jesus makes it abundantly clear that they cannot follow him. They cannot be one of his disciples unless they give up everything they have. You want to follow me, Jesus says, then you have no life of your own. You have no say in what you used to call your life. You are dead. You give up everything for me, no exceptions. Family, health, wealth, me time, holidays, career, education, dreams, everything. The whole lot. You surrender it all. You give it all up if you want to follow Jesus. There are no exceptions. Nothing is off limits to him. You don't have a life. You have nothing of your own anymore. Unless you give up absolutely everything, Jesus says, you cannot be my disciple. Deciding to follow Jesus is really not a decision you want to make lightly. In fact, it kind of makes you wonder, doesn't it? Is Jesus even worth it? Of course we know he is worth it, don't we? After all, Jesus, the guy who's saying to give up everything, he gave up everything for us. He gave up his life for us. He literally carried his cross and he let himself be crucified on it for us. And he did it because he's the narrow door, remember? He is the only way into God's kingdom. He died instead of us so as to get us in. And if we accept his invitation, if we acknowledge that he is the Christ, then we get to come in and we get to take our place at that great and glorious feast, that fantastic banquet in God's eternal kingdom. Deciding to follow Jesus, it'll cost us everything in our lives. But what we've seen over the last few weeks in Luke is that we receive far more from Jesus than we could ever possibly sacrifice. All of the comfort, health, wealth, and pleasure of this world, it is rubbish, absolute rubbish, compared to the forgiveness and love and adoption and eternal life that we receive when we follow Jesus. You know, the call to follow Jesus, the call to give up everything for him, it's really a call to trade in those things that we can never possibly keep, things that will never ultimately satisfy us, It's a call to trade them in for a far greater inheritance that we can never possibly lose. Following Jesus is absolutely worth it. But it's not easy. It is really costly. And what's happening in these verses is that Jesus is telling the crowds just how costly it will be so that they count the cost before deciding to follow him. He says, deciding to follow me will cost you absolutely everything. And so before you decide to follow me, you've got to weigh up the cost. You need to decide whether or not you're prepared to pay it. Now, so as to help them to think about counting the cost first, Jesus goes on to tell them two short stories. The first story in verse 28 is about a man building a tower. Except this guy, he didn't count the cost first, and so he couldn't finish the tower, and in the end he was ridiculed. Have a look at verse 28. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Will he not first sit down and estimate the cost to see if he has enough money to complete it? For if he lays the foundation and is not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule him, saying, this fellow began to build and was not able to finish. 
It's embarrassing, isn't it, to start a project and not be able to finish it. I wonder if you've got any unfinished projects at home. I've got a few. This is a picture of a pile of books under my desk at home. I've started pretty much all of them at some point or other over the last couple of years. Pretty sure I haven't finished any of them. That's embarrassing. This is a picture of some veggie gardens I started building for Sarah a while ago. They've been half finished like that for about 12 months now. Uh, it's really frustrating because I have to keep weeding them, but I haven't actually got them to the point where we can put veggies in yet. And actually, it's so embarrassing because uh, my mum offered to give me some soil this year for Christmas so we can actually finish them. It's embarrassing, right? Starting a project and not being able to finish it, it is embarrassing. That's a danger for someone who starts following Jesus without first, possibly, uh, without first properly counting the cost. But in the second story Jesus tells, the stakes are higher than just being embarrassed. The second story is about a king going to war. And a king who fails to gauge the strength of his army relative to his enemy's army will suffer far more than the ridicule of his neighbours. Verse 31. Well, suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Will he not first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? If he's not able, he will send a delegation while the other is still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. This is another illustration of how important it is to first count the cost. This king has fewer troops than the enemy. In fact, he's got half as many. And if he has any sense, right, any competence at all, he'll carefully assess the situation first before just flying headlong into battle. And if he doesn't think he can win, if he doesn't think he can finish the job, then he'll avoid disaster by asking for terms of peace. Now, Jesus' point really is, Anyone who wants to follow him should first carefully count the cost. It's actually foolish to rush headlong into following Jesus. To avoid an embarrassing outcome, to avoid a disastrous outcome, Jesus is warning the crowds to first count the cost because following Jesus is hard and it will be costly. And anyone who isn't prepared to give up everything cannot be one of his disciples. And Jesus actually reinforces the importance of first counting the cost in the last couple of verses of this section. In verse 34, he starts talking about salt that loses its saltiness. And his point is that someone who only follows Jesus half-heartedly, someone who hasn't first counted the cost, someone who isn't prepared to give up everything for Jesus, they're like salt that's lost its saltiness. Good for nothing. Look at verse 34. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is thrown out. While salt is salty, it's good, right? It has a valuable purpose. But once it loses its saltiness, it's of no value. It's worthless. It's fit only to be chucked out. For the crowds following Jesus, in fact, for the whole of Israel... If they lose their saltiness, if they aren't prepared to repent and accept him as their king, if they're not willing to give up everything for Jesus, then they'll be thrown out, cut off from being God's special people. We've seen this time and time again over the last few weeks. They'll be shut out of the kingdom of God. 
Now, remember, actually, Jesus doesn't want that, does he? For the last few weeks, uh, time and time again, he's been warning and warning and warning them. He really wants Israel to be in God's kingdom. He's been urging them to repent. He's been urging them to accept the invitation. He's actually devastated when they refuse to listen to him. He really wants them to be in God's kingdom. And so he ends this section with one more warning ringing in the ears of the crowd. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. I wonder if you've heard what Jesus has been saying this morning. Because what he's been saying to the crowd, it's really true for us as well. Following Jesus is hard. It will cost you everything. Are you prepared to pay the cost? Because deciding to follow Jesus, it isn't a decision you should make lightly. Now, one of the spin-offs from all this, one of the lessons for us, I reckon, is that when we share the gospel with others, we should tell them the whole truth too. Jesus told the crowd the whole truth, didn't he? Warts and all. And so when we tell people the gospel, we should tell them the whole truth as well. And so we should tell people that Jesus is the saviour, absolutely. We should tell people that because he loves us, he came to our planet and he suffered and he was betrayed by some of his closest friends and he was mocked and he was beaten and he was spat on and he was nailed to a cross and he was murdered and he was buried in a hole in the ground and he was rose back to life again and he did it so as to take away our sins. He did it so as to save us. He did it because he loves us. He did all that to get us into God's kingdom. Absolutely we tell people all that. But we also need to tell people that Jesus is the Lord. He's the king. He's the ruler over us and over everything in our lives. And that means following him will be hard and it will be costly. Because following Jesus means that he has a claim to absolutely everything in our lives. Nothing is off limits. Nothing is outside his lordship. Following Jesus means giving up everything for him. If we don't tell people that, if we don't tell them about the cost of following Jesus, they might start down the path like a guy building a tower only to discover halfway through that they're not prepared to pay the cost. They don't have what it takes to follow to the finish. Then actually they'll be good for nothing except to be thrown out like salt that loses its saltiness. Now, if we're honest with people like this, does it mean that less people will start following Jesus? Probably, yeah. But no fewer people will make it all the way to the end. Jesus would rather not have people follow him at all than follow him on their terms and with their agenda. Jesus saw the crowds following him in verse 25 and he told them that following him is hard. It'll cost them everything. It's not a decision to make lightly. When we tell people about Jesus, we should tell them the whole truth as well. We should tell them that following Jesus won't be easy. Because actually, in the end, for anyone who wants to follow Jesus, there is nothing in their life that is off limits to him. You do get that, right? You have heard what Jesus has been saying this morning? Following Jesus means you have no veto powers when it comes to his plans for you. And so if following Jesus requires you to give up financial security, you do it. 
If following Jesus means giving up some of your creature comforts, you do it. If following Jesus requires you to give up good schools for your kids, you do that. If following Jesus means you give up the respect of others, you do it. If following Jesus even means giving up on some of your long-cherished hopes and dreams and plans for your life, then you do that as well. Now that sounds hard, right? But seriously, has following Jesus ever cost you anything? Jesus says following him should cost you everything. And he's not just saying give up the extra bits of your life. He's not just saying give up comforts and good schools and the excesses in life. He says you should give up everything for him. If you seriously want to follow Jesus, then you have no life of your own. You don't wake up in the morning and get to decide to do whatever you want. You do what Jesus wants. He doesn't owe you anything. Nothing is your right anymore. You don't have any rights. You voluntarily gave them up if you decided to follow Jesus. You surrendered them to him. If you really want to follow Jesus, there is nothing in your life that you can point to and say that is off limits to him. Nothing. Now, absolutely living like that, it is going to be hard. Deciding to follow Jesus is not a decision you want to make lightly. But, you know, following Jesus, as hard as it is, it's also a tremendous privilege. Because if anything, we've seen, if we've seen anything over the past few weeks in Luke, it's that Jesus is the Christ. He is God's chosen king. He is the Lord. The only way into God's kingdom is through him. And he's not just our Lord, he is the Lord of all. He rules over everyone and everything for all time and he commands all people everywhere to repent. He demands our allegiance. He demands our obedience. He demands our absolute commitment. And he loves us. He loves us enough to die instead of us. So as to save us. So as to get us into God's kingdom. And so if you ever grow tired and weary of following Jesus, if you ever start to think that maybe it costs too much, remember that we serve the king. We are children of the king of kings. And that comes with a cost, yes. But it is a cost that is well worth paying. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. Let me pray. Father, your son, Jesus, he's our Lord. He's the King of kings and Lord of lords. Everything was made by him and through him and everything was made for him. And Father, because of your great love for us, he came to our planet and suffered and died instead of us. So as to save us from our sins, so as to make it so that we could be part of your kingdom. Father, help us to be wise enough to follow him. Thanks for the warning this morning that following him won't be easy in this life. In fact, it will be incredibly hard. It will be very costly. But Father, it's true that no matter what we can give up in this life, it is nothing compared to the riches we receive from following Jesus. In fact, we're really only trading in things that we'll lose anyway for things that we will keep for eternity. 
So, Father, help us, please, to count, to count the cost well. And then help us to realise that following Jesus is really no cost at all. It's well worth it. Help us to follow him wholeheartedly because he is the narrow door. The only way into your kingdom is through him. We pray these things in his name. Amen.